I'm not a whole team. Real LA Dodgers, now we here. It's the young hog, Yasiel Puig. Come to the plate, get a city what it needs. Trying to make a scene at Chavez Ravine. One big swing to bring LA the ring. Bleed Dodger Blue, Tommy Lasorda. I think I saw the old man walking on water. Hey y'all, I'm on Crenshaw with Clayton Kershaw. He got the side young who wanna play ball. It got tragic. I called up Magic, and everybody know that Magic flipped the cabbage. I popped Welcome to the LA Sports Roundtable. This is the HAF. With me is the Toyanator, Matt Montoya. F Tommy Cheetah, F Tommy Cheetah, F Tommy Cheetah. We're here podcasting the LA Sports Roundtable to you from RT1 Studios. Here at the Roundtable, we talk LA sports. Bring that shit to me, man. To those of you who listen, thank you. And please give us a shout out and a follow on Twitter at LA Sports RT1. Today, we're going to talk about what the NBA and MLB can take away from the NHL's return plan. Also, we're going to talk about the growing rift between owners and players in MLB to no one's surprise. We also have our Who's Better segment, which will compare two LA players and will decide who's better. As we continue... Without live sports, it seems that it's likelier now that we're going to see a resumption of sports eventually. It's been some trying times to be cooped up, but some ideas that the fat promoting safety is the idea of these bubble environments that continue to pop up in these plans. The league that nobody watches, the NHL, is the latest to release <laughs> details of a probable bubble scenario for safety of its players. Their loser commissioner said there will be two hub cities with the league going straight into the playoffs with the tournament. Teams and the players' union have already agreed to the framework for a 2014 playoff based on the standings as of March 12th. The fact that the No Hispanics League and players are agreeing is very interesting. It goes to show that when there aren't as much dollars as opposed to dollars in the MLB, NBA, and NFL, it seems it becomes easier to get along. As Biggie Smalls once said, mo money, mo problems. The MLB and their players aren't seeming to agree on anything right now. And to all who know the game of baseball, this is no surprise. The postseason format for the NHL will be the top four teams in the East versus the top four teams in the West playing a round-robin competition similar to the World Cup to determine seedings for the next round 
At the same time, the next eight teams in each conference will be paired into best of five series in four teams in each conference to meet from those uh, series for a total of eight in each conference, eight seeded teams. Toya, what do you think about the details of the no Hispanic League's plan to return straight to a 2014 tournament? Well, I think it's a great idea. Um, and to correct you, there are a few Hispanics in the NHL. Um, and I, myself, one of the last games that I went to before the shutdown happened was an Avalanche versus the Ducks game. So I had to give full disclosure on that before we went any further. So um, I do have to say that there are people who do enjoy the NHL. I'm still learning the sport. I don't know it as well as other people. It still kind of uh, seems like soccer on ice to me. But now that I'm through that digression, the TLL, the Turn Left League, a.k.a. NASCAR, has already had two races with no fans. And from what I understand, they have been able to have these race teams get back together, have full races, and there have not been any new reported cases of COVID-19 within any of the race groups. So with the TLL, AKA NASCAR, being used as guinea pigs, it has proven to be effective with whatever, it is, whatever processes that the TLL put in place that I think the NHL can mimic. In addition, I think the other reason why the NHL did not have the financial issues that the major, the MLB did was because um, if I understand how hockey contracts work correctly, and I might be wrong, but from what I read, hockey players get paid their salary based off the games that they play in the regular season. Teams who make it to the playoffs only get a specific type of salary. I believe this is the same case in the, in the NFL as well. Whereas, um, they have everybody makes the same amount of money for the playoffs, and they could go in the regular season making twenty-five, a hundred thousand, or a million dollars a game. To everybody makes ten thousand dollars a game. Um, so it's a huge drop off in terms of salary. So because they were going to go immediately into a playoff format, um, there were no salary. There, there was no salary worries to be renegotiated because the way that the format works for the playoffs, this is what they were going to get paid anyway. Well, if that's the case, the players are giving up a lot of money by going straight into these playoffs. Um, and at the same time, if the NHL has 31 teams, is that correct, Montoya? I believe that is the case. Yeah. So if they have 31 teams, okay, and they're going to have 24 teams total play this tournament, you know, that means seven teams continue to stay at home um, by giving up that salary should they have been able to finish the regular season games. I don't know that a majority of those players, especially on the teams that were already eliminated because hockey had made it through a majority of their schedule. So the, the seedings and everything were pretty much already there. There was a few games left that people were missing out on game checks. But versus the risk of being close to other people and some of the things that have happened 
Um, you know, some of the Swedish players, for instance, I believe Sweden has had very, very, very low COVID numbers. So you may even see some of those Swedish players who would have been on some of those teams that weren't going to go to the playoffs anyway, say, yeah, I'm not going back to the United States right now. So I really honestly think that even though there was some money left on the table, that none of those players in the, on those seven teams really care. Well, that's a good point, you know, especially if they didn't have that many games to, uh, left for their season, regular season. Uh, no, they were pretty much at the very close to the end of the season. Um, so the playoffs were just around the corner. I don't know off the top of my head how many games they had left, and that's my fault. I really should have looked that up before we did the podcast. But they were pretty much through the season. So any money that was left on the table from those seven teams, I really don't think those players care. Uh-huh. And um, at the same time, you know, there is a concern if, I mean, if they don't care because, you know, it's just safe, safer for them to stay at home. Their uh, deputy commissioner was interviewed and he said uh, he was trying to downplay any concern about positive tests and, um, you know, a quick stop of play once they resume. And he said one single positive test should not shut the operation down. Now, let me repeat that. One single positive test. All right. He then goes on to say something about an isolated positive test should not be um, a means to end games. So is the man sidestepping concern over an outbreak? Because I sort of see that. Or what if it's not an isolated positive test? What if multiple players test positive for the virus? Well, I think that this is where corporate, if you will, the, the league itself makes a majority of its money. So it's within the league's best interest for the playoffs to continue. Why is that a big deal? Let's think of this in terms of numbers. Where do you get a spike in people tuning into the NHL? The playoffs. If that player pay schedule is as I described, then the cost per player in the playoffs drop significantly the value of the tv contracts go up and the demand for tickets in during the time of year you know in other years when fans can be present the value of those tickets also skyrocket so this is a big portion of the league's income so you can see that they have a vested interest in making sure that this moves forward. Does that make sense to you? Did I explain myself in a way that made sense? Yeah, yeah. But uh, I question, you know, the whole point about the ticket values because there are obviously going to be no fans. Yes, but if you take a look at what the, the TLL ratings were, take a look at this golf game that happened between Peyton Manning and Tommy Cheetah with uh, a couple of golfers and look at the ratings that that got. The opportunity when it comes time to renegotiate these TV contracts that go into play now when the ratings are going to be ridiculously high because there's not a lot of choice on when it comes to live sports is why everyone is trying to race to get back to playing games. Well, there will definitely be a spike in ratings, especially if there's still partial quarantining going on across the country. Absolutely. And just because I think people will appreciate sports more now that they've been taken away from them for so long, 
It's like um, a heroin addict who lost access to heroin. They're fiending for anything, especially when you look at the TLL um, and NASCAR's ratings for these last couple of weeks. Yeah, right. And there isn't an abundance of sports to watch. And here and there, I don't know if you've noticed, but there have been playing some historical games like on um, Spectrum. I wish I had Spectrum down here, but uh, I have been seeing a lot of historical games. One of the things I have been appreciative of is the NFL Game Pass. I was watching um, the Broncos Chargers game that I was at in November. I'm sorry, October. It was week six that the Broncos got their first win of the season. And it was kind of cool to see the TV broadcast of a game I was actually at. Yeah, so I did that too, man, with a few Rams games. So I definitely appreciate the opportunity to see some of these older sports. And I never thought I'd say this, but I really, really miss having um, the opportunity and the option to watch something live. Right. Beyond the TLL. Right. Uh, you know, some cities being considered as playoff hosts are Chicago, Columbus, uh, Dallas, Edmonton, Alberta, Las Vegas, L.A., St. Paul, Minnesota, or yeah, St. Paul, Minnesota, Pittsburgh, Toronto, Vancouver, and British Columbia. They don't have a host city or cities yet. Should we even care what city or cities, two cities, the NHL will choose? I would like to see Edmonton. I would really, really like to see Edmonton get the games. I'd like to see, at a minimum, there be one Canadian city. Um, the reason why I say that is, is Canada is far more spread out. And yes, there are major metropolises like Toronto and Edmonton and Vancouver. But for the most part, you have a lot of space with a lot of opportunity for people to spread out. Um, and that also yields the opportunity that, you know, there's not a lot of sports going on, especially with things like the CFL needing a loan from the, the country just to stay afloat. That Canadians are diehard hockey fans in the same way that I'm a huge Broncos fan in the same way you're a huge Lakers fan. Hockey is for them what those teams are for us. So they need to have those teams be local, even if the fans aren't allowed to go. I think it's very important that hockey stay close to its roots. So I'd like to see Edmonton and I'd simultaneously also like to see one American city or a city like Toronto that's right on the border, um, close to the United States, to allow the American fans to still feel included. Well, looking at the teams that would be in this 2014 tournament, uh, you have Montreal, Toronto, and Vancouver, all those teams would be in this tournament in one way or another. And they would be in the best of five series, not the round robin. So that does maybe have some weight if you have those Canadian teams. I don't know how many teams they have left up there in Canada. Um, but it doesn't look like they still have that Edmonton team when Gretzky was on. Um, the original Edmonton Oilers moved to Phoenix and became the Coyotes and are now owned by Wayne Gretzky. Then there was a team in Atlanta called the Thrashers that moved up to 
Winnipeg and became the um, the Winnipeg Jets and sorry, I got stuck on Winnipeg. There was another team that recently moved that re- became the Oilers again, if I remember correctly. Interesting. Oh no, actually the, the Oilers, the Oilers never actually moved. It was just Winnipeg. I take that back. The Winnipeg Jets existed during the same time that Wayne Gretzky played for the Edmonton Oilers before he came to LA. The Winnipeg Jets then moved to Arizona and became the Coyotes. And then there was a team in Atlanta that failed. And when it failed, the NHL, I believe, took over the team and moved it to Winnipeg and rebranded it as the Jets. And another interesting fact of NHL history was the Senators, who play on the East Coast of Canada, were the last team before the Thrashers that were in Atlanta that failed and then moved to Canada and became a different team that still exists today. Okay, so the originals, um, so there has been some movement among teams there, interesting, and they're, I guess, trying to get a foothold next in Seattle. So, but, okay, so any, uh, the point is you have some Canadian teams in this tournament. So that's a good argument for Canada at least getting one of these cities, and I don't know how the – the Canadian cities, their proximity, you know, is to, uh, I don't really know the geography of Canada too well, but um, yeah, that would be maybe a good call for a city in Canada and a city in the U S. You could also have Edmonton, which is in Alberta and Vancouver, um, which is in, um, British Columbia. Vancouver and Seattle. British Columbia, thank you. They are fairly close. It would be like the equivalency of going from um, L.A. to Dallas, and you could just have those two cities, and I think that would be – it's close enough to the U.S. because Vancouver and Seattle are very close to each other in the same way that Buffalo and Toronto are right next to each other. Um, And to give you an idea distance-wise, um, the distance is probably half of the distance of going from LA to Vegas, if not even shorter mm-hmm. to go from Seattle to Vancouver. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it still includes the American cities. It's close enough that they can go back and forth between the two cities at, in terms of, uh, a short airplane ride. That they're not exposing a lot of airport staff. Um, and if you're going to have two cities, I think, those are two very rabid, um, hockey fan-friendly cities that are just going to really appreciate just having hockey be, even being played at all in their cities. Mm-hmm. There'd be so much passion behind it. It would be like how baseball was in the 70s and 80s in the United States. So should the NBA do the same thing? Based off of the results, initially I was going to say no, but based off of the results of what we're seeing with uh, NASCAR in terms of there being no new cases, uh, at least not anything that I've read about in the news, I definitely believe that the NBA should be doing something similar, um, whether it's modeling themselves after um, NASCAR, whatever it is that they're doing with those teams. Because if you look at the pits in NASCAR, how close are those pits to each other? They're very close. And for there to have been 
no newly transmitted cases unless NASCAR is just completely keeping that under wraps. I think NASCAR has the blueprint that the NBA, whose team sizes are fairly similar in terms of what you're going to what you see with NASCAR, and they do they would be doing even less traveling than NASCAR is doing. I think that um, the the model that NASCAR is using lends itself to the NBA very well. Now, what about the tournament straight direct to the playoffs? Should the NBA do the same thing with that? I think the NBA, like the NHL, has played enough games that we know what the seating we're, – we're close enough to know what the seating would have been for the playoffs anyway. Okay. And so I, that means the, the NBA question, has 30 teams. That means if you do 24-team, you know, playoff tournament – six teams would stay home. Uh, is that good enough? Um, I'm going to say yes. I think that could be good I mean, enough. Well, and then when you really look at some of the hardest hit areas, who are the teams that are going to be left at home? It's going to be Brooklyn. It's going to be um, um, not just the Nets, but it's going to be the Knicks. Um, you know, some of those areas that were really hard hit, they're not, there's not going to be any risk of bringing anyone from those areas in anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that's a positive. The, there's only two things that I'm unsure about in terms of the NBA. Number one is how does the playoff schedule work in terms of player payout? Is it something like what I described in the NHL or and the NFL? Because the NFL has that similar type of structure for the playoffs that the NHL does. Or is there something worked out where they still get their full pay, but it's more of a bonus type thing because they're playing extra games? Because that's also, if, if they do have to pay full salaries, but they're not getting the parking and the concessions, I believe that there's going to be some form of discord that just hasn't happened yet with the NBA. Well, in the NBA, there is no championship prize money. There is, a $13 million player playoff pool that is funded by playoff gate receipts and is then allocated to playoff teams. The amount earned escalates as the team advances in the playoffs. This money comes from ticket sales to playoff games, according to NBCSports.com. Okay. Thank you for having that information readily available. Good job. Well, no, I just looked it up as you were talking. Uh, not like, uh, you know, man, you know, I'm sitting here with my Chromebook. Um, so, but it says this money comes from ticket sales to playoff games in the NBA. And that is, you know, your, your incentive is to advance in the playoffs to get more of the pool, which is not much if you think about it. Uh, you're, that's why these, you know, players really want these high max regular season contracts. Um, maybe when they're not even worth them, like, you know, Chris Paul, although Chris Paul was having a good season in Oklahoma city before, um, you know, the season would stop. So pretty interesting stuff there. And, um, Oh, no, I definitely agree. But the question I have because of that is if they're going to have no fans, how are they going to pay the players? 
if it's only a $13 million playoff pool, and if this is correct, according to NBCnews.com, I'm sure the NBA could find that to pay the players, you know. But that means the NBA players would have to agree to, you know, give up the remaining of their uh, regular season salaries, which could be a significant amount of money, way more than the NHL. When we're talking about, like, players like Chris Paul getting a regular season salary of, like, 40-something a year or something like that, you know, you're asking that guy to give up a lot of money if they say we're not going to finish out the rest of the season, like 19 games or so. Yeah, the, the players are definitely going to have to take some form of a hit. But that comes to an interesting perspective um, when you take a look at this then. You have, because right now a lot of the focus in sports talk radio has been on Major League Baseball players and Ha-ha. their inability. That is exactly to... where I was going to go next, Montoya. Okay. Well, you're going to say something about their inability to agree. Now, I'm absolutely going to say something about their inability to agree, but I'm going to give a different perspective on what I think you're, you're anticipating I was going to say. But I will go ahead and let you ask your question because I believe you may have already had this as part of the format. Well, no, I was going straight into the next topic is that the MLB has a proposed sliding pay scale plan in order to resume their season. The sliding pay scale will have the highest paid players take the biggest pay cut while the lowest paid players get the closest to their salary. Many big leaguers have voiced their dissatisfaction with this proposal and voiced their concerns to the MLBPA. The MLBPA plans to offer a counterproposal which will not have a salary cut. There aren't too many details on what that will look like yet, but they promise to send their counterproposal by the end of this week. So, Montoya, how not surprised are you that the players and owners aren't agreeing on pay cuts? You know, I I spent some time on this, um, thinking about this uh, the last couple of days. I listen to a lot of sports talk radio and this has come up and I'm hearing a lot of people, you know, in sports talk radio saying, Oh, I can't believe that the players are going to tell the electrician who is currently laid off right now and can't pay any of his bills that he won't play a game at a reduced rate. And at the same time, if you look at it, some of these people, not some of them, but these people actually are, the best at what they do in the world. Let me say that again. They are the best in the world at what they do. So to ask these players such as Mike Trout to take this huge, I'm thinking the number based off of what you said is close to like a 60%, maybe even 65% pay cut. Would any of us do that? I mean, I'm sure there are people who have been, who were maybe making $100,000 who went back to work and are now making um, $80,000 temporarily. So there have been people who have gone back to work because a pay cut was requested of them. But at the same time, these people um, are the best in the world at what they do. And they're also taking on an added risk. 
the more I think about this and people are not going to agree with me, people are, I'm probably going to offend some people, but I see the perspective of the players. And the more I think about it, the more I kind of agree with the players. What about yourself, Michael? I'm with you there. I completely agree with you. Um, you know, I just looked it up here and it looks like that the MLBPA proposal is going to be a prorated pay cut, like, or a prorated, you know, you just get your salary based on how many games you play with no cuts at all. And if you have a guy okay. who's making close to $40 million a year, like Mike Trout, and you ask him to take $7 million and he is the best, you know, at the game, like you say, um, that's a big, big amount of money to just say, okay, fine. I won't take it. And then you have a guy with a $7 million contract getting close to what, four or $5 million. Uh, you know, I mean, he's going to be almost paid the same amount as Mike Trout. That just doesn't make sense at all. I don't like it. You know, I just don't like it. I'm totally with the players on this. So if they're proposing the players a pro-rated uh, salary, and if they get paid based on 162 games, and they get, you know, what's what was the last or the latest detail on their proposal? I can't remember the exact number. Was it 100 games, 101 games, or something like that? Um, for lack of uh, better research, I'm going to say you're correct. Yeah, I know we had it specifically on a previous podcast, but yeah. So that may be less of a cut for my players like Mike Trout. But let's, let's also um, put this into perspective. Who actually puts butts in the seats? The Angels, I'm an Angels fan. The Angels haven't been doing that well over the last few years. But I do go to games because I'm a fan. I do go to games because I'm an Angels fan. But I specifically like to go to games to see Mike Trout. I don't go to games to see Albert Pujols. I love him as a person. I think what he's doing for special needs kids is amazing. But let's just call a spade a spade. I go to see Mike Trout. Mike Trout puts my butt in the seat. So it's not Mike Trout's fault that this happened, that there can't be fans. He is also going to be one of the reasons why people are going to watch the, the game on TV. And he's going to help bring those numbers up when it comes time to renegotiate these TV contracts. So I believe that he should be, com he should be compensated now for the revenue that the MLB is going to make later. Well, Mike Trout has been compensated. Last year, he signed a 13-year extension. He's basically going to be an angel until he retires. Um, the fact is, should he be compensated, you know, with what he's supposed to be paid this year? And I completely agree with you. The answer to that question is yes, especially players like Mike Trout, you know, and Clayton Kershaw, uh, high, some high-revenue players who really – have not only earned it, but they're so significant to their teams and one of the best, if not the best players at their positions in the game. Well, if B was here right now, the first thing that he would say is, 
I disagree. These guys signed contracts. They need to play. But at the same time, these owners issued contracts and they need to honor them and the details of those contracts in the same way that B is expecting the players to do so. True. You know, you need to, you need to come to an agreement is the bottom line. Are they going to be able to come to an agreement? Because if they don't play, nobody gets paid, right? Absolutely. No one gets paid if there is no play. But the players have a legitimate argument on two fronts in the fact that they will be the reason that people are watching the games, which the owners will then leverage into a higher TV contract down the road. And simultaneously, they are taking the risk more so than the owners by being in close proximity with other people who could have the virus. And well, they're any of these players more likely, or they're going to be likelier to be exposed to the virus, you know, even if they have this bubble environment, right? The owners, if they're just sitting in their suites or staying at home quarantining, you know, I mean, uh, yeah, it's not really like they're going to be as much of risk. Absolutely. And then let's say that maybe the virus causes some of these players to realize that they had health issues they didn't even know they had that could potentially be fatal. So when you look at the future earnings potential that could be lost based off of this player not even realizing that they have some form of uh, a health issue that they don't even know that they have, such as um, who was that safety that played for the Pittsburgh Steelers who couldn't go to Denver during that terrible Tebow game, um, who normally would have been on the field but couldn't because the last time he went to Denver, he realized firsthand how bad his sickle cell issue was and the altitude negatively impacted him. I don't know. You know who I'm talking about? I believe. I remember the story, but I don't remember the guy's name. I believe, I believe it was Ryan Clark. Mm-hmm. So – if you look at that, he didn't realize that the altitude would affect him until he actually went to Denver. And I think that anyone who gets exposed to coronavirus, if they do have some unknown health ailment, um, that otherwise, if they did know, they wouldn't even play. They wouldn't, they wouldn't take the risk because that their chance of being a fatality is so much higher. Those risks also have to be mitigated in whatever's agreed upon well let me read you a tweet from max scherzer after discussing the latest developments with the rest of the players there's no reason to engage with mlb in any further compensation reductions we have previously negotiated a pay cut in the version of prorated salaries and there's no justification to accept a second pay cut based upon the current information the union has received I'm glad to hear other players voicing the same viewpoint and believe MLB's economic strategy would completely change if all documentation were to become public information. So I've heard this before, Montoya, that players say and agents like Scott Boris, like, hey, you know, we came to a deal when spring training was first called off, right? Like, why are you trying to – like make us give up more now. Like, and they're really trying. It's obvious 
the owners are really trying to get out of a lot of these big time contracts like Max Scherzer's contract, like Mike Trout's contract, um, like Garrett Cole's contract. All these guys would be giving up so much money. So the guy has a point, right? I 100% agree. You also look at how baseball players get paid compared to NFL salaries. An NFL player gets cut. He doesn't continue to get his paycheck anymore, but a baseball player does. And you look at what the pension is, the pension payout for a player in baseball versus a football pension for the same amount of time. It's significantly different with the baseball player making significantly more. So I think the owners are trying, they're looking at leagues like the NFL and they're a bit jealous and they want to try to leverage this into something such as not only a salary cap, but um, they also want to paint the players as bad guys and leverage high unemployment to do that. It's like a never ending battle between them. If you think about it, you know, the players, MLB players are probably the strongest as far as, you know, their union organization is concerned. And you, you know, if you're a baseball fan, you really saw that in 1994. So yes. it's, it's like, you know, they're, they're just trying to see if they could finally, you know, get the players to give in so they could use it as leverage in the future. Absolutely. And they want to use it as a, almost like a legal precedent. Well, we did this and it was successful during the pandemic. This is what we want. It's going to lead to future lockouts because if you give the owners an inch, I think they're going to try to leverage it later and, and they're going to continue and the interesting... to try to paint the players in a negative, to try to paint the players in a negative narrative. And I'll go ahead and let you go from there. Sorry. I just wanted to say what I, that they're going to try to utilize the high unemployment that's happening right now because of the virus and use that as leverage against the players not wanting to play right now. And I was just going to say, it's interesting that you may see new language pushed in by the owners to, you know, automatically go to these terms they're trying to, you know, make the players agree to with this big, you know, the most high, the highest paid players taking the biggest salary cuts in case of future pandemics, because you don't know what's going to go happen, right, with the future pandemics. Absolutely, and there's so much misinformation out there right now. We have no idea where anything's going. Um, to, I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent, but I'm going to tie this back to everything. I don't know if you saw the news that came out of the L.A. County Jail recently. What? Let me guess. Uh, were there a lot of uh, virus cases? There were a significant amount of virus cases, but a lot of those virus cases were um, not showing any type of symptoms. And so the jail was trying to make the argument because in the men's jail, they have not given any of the men masks or anything. And they were trying to say that because the, when they did this round of testing, a majority of the people who did come back as being positive were not showing any signs of the virus. They're trying to make the argument that herd mentality has already started within the jail. Mm -hmm. 
while epidemiologists are saying that's not the case and that you know there needs to be a re they need to reorganize the men's jail they need to make it a little bit more like the women's jail where at least the women have masks but also at the same time the jail is also trying to paint the inmates in a negative way because there's a video that surfaced of a bunch of inmates drinking from a single cup and the narrative was then painted that they were all trying to give each other the coronavirus to get out of jail early <laughs> in the same manner that <laughs> in the same manner that the major league baseball owners are trying to paint the players as just greedy people who um, just want to make all their money regardless of how much money the owners are losing um, and trying to use the high unemployment as leverage against the players. It's the exact same thing. Um, so, again, there's so much misinformation and there's so many variables that we just don't know in terms of this virus and how it's going to affect different people and unknown health issues that some of these people may have. Uh, the by these people, I mean the players. It's a huge risk for them a huge risk and it's a huge future risk based off of the leverage it gives the owners in the next con when the, when the next uh, bargaining agreement comes up. Yeah. You know, the obvious concern is that there are going to be games without fans. And another interesting thing I wanted to ask you was, well, what about um, the NFL? The Rams, for example, are continuing to promote, and sell tickets for games at SoFi Stadium. And there may not be any fans in attendance allowed in games at, you know, the new stadium when preseason begins in August. So what do you think about that? I mean, uh, they're just collecting money just in case. I mean, isn't it far-fetched or certain by now there won't be fans in attendance by August? I read an article on 104.3 The Fan. It is a radio station in Denver that is sports talk radio, and it's focused um, mainly on the Broncos. And one of the, the things that that article said that I found so interesting was that as of right now, the NFL is pushing towards having stadiums at full capacity. So as of right now, there has been no plans made. There's been nothing announced in terms of playing the games without fans. So um, that's why the Rams are pushing to continue to sell tickets because as far as the NFL, the, as far as the NFL is concerned, the stadiums are going to be business as usual by the time the NFL season rolls around. Do you think the NFL could be avoiding a potential clash with their players for possible salary negotiations for pay cuts and want to see what happens with the rest of the sports leagues now that the NHL and their players have agreed to terms and the MLB and their players are fighting over terms? I think they're kicking the can down the road to see what happens um, because they they have a bargain. The new bargaining agreement is coming up shortly. Actually, I believe it was just voted on. So they don't want to. It was to voted on. And yeah. Throw... We're going to see 17 games next year. Sorry to interrupt. No, you're fine. I just wanted to make sure that I was correct that that vote was finally finalized because there was a lot of talk about players taking back their vote. 
Um, so again, they just went through and had, they escaped a lockout, such as like what we saw during the last um, labor negotiation. There's, a, there's labor peace. And when you compare the way that their contracts stack up against Major League Baseball with the guarantees, they're in a pretty good spot right now. So, um, however, however, if there are no fans in attendance, that is going to be another type of revenue they're not going to receive. We all know with the NFL, they make most of their money with their TV deals because they get all of most or most of the uh, TV viewers on Sundays and Monday nights. So do you think there can be some labor, potential labor clash with the owners uh, regarding salaries eventually, especially? if no fans are in NFL games? Well, Zach By, again, I was listening to 104.3 The Fan today, and I have to mention this because I didn't do this research. I am parroting what I heard from Zach. So um, if somebody wants to verify what was said, they can go to 104.3 The Fan and look up the show for Stokely and Zach on um, March, um, I'm sorry, May 27th. And listen to um, listen to the complete show, and they will hear Zach by state this. Um, the Dallas Cowboys make, I believe he said it was like six point six billion dollars a year in revenue, and seventy percent of that comes from the gate and parking. So there's a huge hit potential for each team when you look at it from that perspective. Um, just based off of parking, concessions, and the gate. So I do believe, based off of Zach's numbers, that there's absolutely going to be some labor discourse if the NFL has to make adjustments and they don't carry on with full stadiums. There will definitely have to be some discourse between them because it may, you know, there may not be fans in attendance. I mean, I don't think they want to admit it right now, uh, but it's not looking like August. There may, there people will be allowed to attend live sports. And well, you, you know take, what? Go ahead. I was just going to say, if you take a look, allegedly with uh, what was going on with uh, the WWE Raw this week, they had other wrestlers in the stands with hockey-like plexiglass around them who were in the stands. And I didn't see this, but I heard about it again um, on the same show that I, I cited earlier, that they had um, some form of a plexiglass surrounding the fans that was similar to what you see at hockey games that protect the fans from the pucks. So you could potentially have people who are related who are going to go to the game, mom, dad, and a couple of kids, be in a section that has the plexiglass around it, similar to what you see at a hockey game or when you go to a grocery store today, what separates you from the cashier. Yeah, you're talking about installing a lot of plexiglass, though. You think that's feasible? 
Um, admittedly, no. But when it comes to the amount of revenue that would be generated by having the fans there, I think that the NFL will come up with a way to do it. Yeah, if it's if it's something they're forced to do, of course they're going to find a way to do it. They'd have to find a way to do it. Uh, the question then is, would you want to attend a game under those circumstances? Honestly, to the opportunity. Would you want to take? To would you want to take your your two sons and Aaron to an NFL game to see the Broncos if those protective plexiglass um, things were panels were installed all over the stadium? No, I would not take my family. But I would go, I would potentially go by myself with a couple of friends. Like if you, B, and I wanted to go, I would feel significantly better about the three of us going than Aaron, the boys, and I going. Uh huh. And uh, if, do you think if they put in those uh, plexiglass, so were the wrestlers number one in the plexiglass, were they wearing masks or not? Admittedly, I didn't research that. I was, working and i heard um zach by mentioned that their program director called him and said hey put on monday night raw and take a look at who's in the stands and how they are in the stands and he described the plexiglass i don't yeah, remember him mentioning that would be interesting would would those plexiglass panels if they were installed all over sofi stadium for example still be sufficient protection or would they still ask people to wear masks i think you'd have to ask people to wear masks because you'd have to come up with diagrams for how you can go to the restroom so that way um you know you'd have to have people move in a circular manner in one direction and how are you going to get people to go in front of other people to get to their seat even with that diagram you're still putting people in harm's way it doesn't make complete sense to me. I'm just saying that it was something that the WWE did, and I'm sure the NFL could come up with a way to modify that to make it work for their needs. Yeah, if you put the proper have the you know the proper logistics, you're probably still looking at you know not a stadium at full capacity. You're looking at a stadium. Agreed. You know, that could be, what, 25% to 50% capacity at the most. I don't even think it could get up as high as 50%. Um, you know, if you put all, if you require all those logistics, and you're talking about a lot of crowd control there, you know, and controlling the mobs, and especially, you know, yeah, uh, B mentioned on a previous podcast, the whole, al- and you, the whole alcohol element, you know, Um how that can come into play if you have fans attend games in these uh, circumstances in light of the virus. Well, and, you know, people tend to get brave and they tend to um, not want to follow rules as soon as they've had a couple of uh, cold pops. So, you know, there's another, um, that's another variable that needs to be considered. You know what's going to happen with some Cholos at a Raiders game? Las Vegas. <laughs> well, and then look at Vegas. I mean, that's the city of excess. So you're going to have some people who are coming possibly already intoxicated from a casino. And then you're going to uh, give them the opportunity to get more alcohol 
and expect them to be responsible. I just don't see that happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm looking this up right now. Um, the WWE has taken another page from the NHL's playbook and installed plexiglass barriers around its ring. The plexiglass well, is intended to keep that's on a very small scale compared to we're talking about you know a stadium like SoFi Stadium. You know, it's oh uh, no, I 100% agree. Yeah. yeah. So, but uh, anything else? Um, no, those were just the things that kind of came to mind as you kind of led us through the whole thing. We just need to get, I think for every answer I've had, you've had a response. So I think both of us have given our perspective. We just happen to have agreed significantly more um, than having B with us because he would have disagreed on he would have been very heated about the baseball part. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, there's still who's better. Want to talk about that? Let's do it. All we right. Can absolutely talk about that. Finally, we're going to do our who's better segment where we decide the better L.A. player. So, Toya, who's better, Justin Turner of the Dodgers or newly arrived Anthony Rendon of the Angels? Um, I'm going to have to go, even though I'm an Angels fan, I'm going to have to go with the proven product. And I'm going to have to say the Turner is the better player because he's been in the Dodgers organization. He's played with these players. There's a chemistry there. And yes, I realize Rendon is a, is a good player and the chemistry part shouldn't play all that much of a variable because baseball is kind of an individual sport in terms of scoring. But I just don't know how Rendon is gonna mesh with the Angels players. Whereas with Turner, I do. And Turner's been very successful. You know, Turner, I I mean, I really like how Turner became successful with the Dodgers. And if, you know, if it uh, it was the 90s right now, I would think Turner was on roids, man. Like, especially how he developed, his power developed. Um... And just looking at their stats, I mean, it's 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 very similar. You know, they've been in the league a similar amount of time. They've played the, a similar amount of games. Uh, they have a similar amount of at-bats. Their batting average is nearly identical uh, in their careers as far as Rendon, 290, Turner, 292. Uh, as far as hits, Rendon has 994 hits. Turner has 983 hits. Rendon has more runs scored, uh, 16 more home runs in his career, 136 to 120. He has more RBIs than Turner, 546 to 472. Uh, He has 20 more doubles in his career than Turner at 245 to 225. 
his triples, 15 triples to eight triples for Turner. And here's really where Rendon, you know, breaks away statistically from Turner is with walks. Anthony Rendon has 409 base on balls in his career compared to Turner at 333. However, since it seems, um, you know, as far as power is concerned, that they they do have equal power, but they're, I don't know, I think I saw a stat here. Rendon's power speed is a lot higher than Turner's power speed swinging the bat. Uh, Rendon has created more runs in his career. They have an equal, almost equal wins above replacement. Uh, it's, you know, it's a really tough choice, Toya. But, I mean, if I really were to choose right now, I mean, uh, uh, like I'm more of a Dodgers fan than an Angels fan. I do have history and love, you know, for the Angels. But, um, you know, yeah, you guys know that uh, I'm more of a Dodgers fan. And uh, Turner at third base, you know, I really, really want to go with Turner, but... Just looking at all this, and, you know, I mean, Rendon signed that big extension. He's going to be with the Angels a lot longer. I think this is Turner's last year in his deal, you know, as far as who I'd want on my team right now. Um, it's really hard for me to say. I'm going to go with Anthony Rendon of the Angels. Well, let me also make one more point in the fact that had Rendon gone from the Nationals to the Dodgers, a successful organization, at least right now, and it's a team that's doing really well, and going to another team that has been doing very well recently, that culture is there, the expectation is there, I, I would 100% agree with you that Rendon would be the better player. Where I'm worried is the Angels have had a losing culture over the last few years. They don't know how to win. They don't know the chemistry. And that's one of the things that Rendon has been trying to fix. They don't know how to really spend. They say they spend, you know, and getting these guys like Rendon and Otani. uh, But since they did spend on Pujols and Hamilton, you know, Moreno doesn't want to really spend on much. Like, or doesn't want to spend much on players at all. But that's, that's another point, though, is they've come to have a standard of mediocrity. And where, where Rendon is going to earn his money is, will he and Mike Trout force the players around them to elevate their game? Or will Rendon just go, ah, it's easy money and the standards aren't as high as where I came from, so I don't necessarily have to produce. That's yeah. what I'm worried about. Now, you know, it's interesting. Yeah, that I think that will be the case with the field players. But as you guys have brought up before, you know, you, I mean, I don't think he, it'll inspire those pitchers if they're shitty, as we say in a major league. But, <laughs> you know, it's just I just don't see it with those pitchers. Not this year, at least. Uh, and I'm in. A, I'm 100% in agreement with you, but I'm more worried just about the psychological effect of, you know, um, there were higher expectations in Washington, and Rendon was able to step up to those. And so, you know what? I disagree with you there, man. I think the Nationals over 
you know, like stepped their expectations for last season and completely weren't expected to defeat the Dodgers in the first round of the playoffs last year and go all the way and win the World Series against the big Houston Asterisks. <laughs> Sorry, I had to laugh at the Asterisks. That's a perfect name for them. But my, that's my point, though, is there was a culture there that said, we can step this up. We can do this. And the whole team bought it. Um, I would like to see the Angels buy in and have Rendon repeat that same success. I'm just worried culturally that they just don't have what it takes to do that. And Rendon has to make a choice to either continue to say, look, we can do this and be that voice of reason in the locker room or just, but it, or he could also just be like, hey, it's an easy paycheck and this is the culture that the team has and there's no reason for me to put you know what? I'm getting paid. I don't see Rendon phoning it in, you know, although I haven't seen him play much since he was with the Nationals and he hasn't played with the Angels at all yet, you know, but um, just from what I've seen with his highlights uh, over the years, you know, I don't think he's going to phone it in. I think he's, you know, a hard-nosed player and I think he's going to play and I think Turner is a hard-nosed player too, which is making, you know, which made it even harder for me to choose Rendon in the first place. You know, I love the way Turner plays. Uh, but, you know, Rendon, I think, I mean, if he signed that deal and plus, you know, those based on those stats I went over, I still have to stick with Rendon for who's better. But but it's really hard not to go with Turner, you know. I'm definitely glad Turner is on the Dodgers, and I really hope I get to see Turner play with uh, Mookie Betts in the lineup. Well, I'm, as an Angels fan, I'm really hoping that you're correct. And I'm hoping that Rendon can help rekindle the 2002 winning culture of the Angels. So I'm hoping to be wrong in this who's better. Yeah, but in, in 2002, the Angels had a decent pitching staff. You know, you had a young John Lackey. You had Chuck Finley. You had Troy Percival. You had Donnelly. You had Finley was Finley. gone by that. Fin, Finley was not on the 2002 team, but for the rest really? of the you are correct. Finley I, didn't win a ring. I, just, I do not believe that he did. I can't believe it, Mister Angel himself. You know. Let me look that uh, up really quick. I'm looking up. right now. Chuck Finley stats, Mister Angel. I remember seeing Chuck Finley play in O2. Was he with Toronto? Oh, he left after 99, man. Yeah, I, I can't believe say. He left after 99 and played with Cleveland. Uh-huh. And, and last two seasons, or last his last season was 02 where he started with Cleveland and finished with St. Louis. They must have, that must have been a deadline deal for the Cardinals to get him. And then he walked away when he didn't win a ring. He probably was, uh, wow. I thought Mr. Well, if you look at all the Angels players that won a ring that were significant, almost all of them went to St. Louis and won another ring. Troy Glass, uh, Edmonds, Eckstein, Jim Edmonds. Um, uh, yeah, I believe Jim Edmonds did as well. Um, you know, the only person Jim who did, 
Lewis, come on, man. He hooked up with Mark McGuire and started hitting all those home runs out. He must have been on the juice. I'm going to agree with you just because he was in the National League and they had pitchers batting and everything else. So, <laughs> Well, and of course, you know, the late 90s, right? Yeah, that was definitely a terrible time for baseball. Yeah. So... All right, so B's not here to tip the balance. I definitely you know, think he would have gone redone. Yeah, but maybe if uh, he gives us a call or whatever tomorrow, maybe we could finish this up with his comments on who's better to decide. But right now, it's a stalemate, everybody, between Justin Turner of the Angels or excuse me, of the Dodgers and Anthony Rendon of the Angels. So it's a cliffhanger. We still don't know who's better. And the ironic piece to this is the Angels fan chose the Dodger and the Dodgers fan chose the Angel. Yes, Toya. But you know what? Like I said, I, I do have love for the Angels. And when I was a little kid in the 80s, I liked the Angels more than the Dodgers. You know, I grew up in Glendale, not too far from Dodger Stadium, a few minutes away uh, drive. And I'd still have my dad take me to Angels games in Anaheim, you know. So we drive like past Dodger Stadium on the 5 South, going to Anaheim to see these <laughs> games. And, uh, and, and, and partially at that time in the 80s, the Angels had all those veterans like they would sign like, you know, that were like stars and I would have their baseball cards and stuff. And that was exciting. Like Reggie Jackson, when they got Reggie Jackson, when they got Dave Winfield, uh, Lance Parrish, you know, uh, that was all exciting to me. And, and so young, young kid, I had more love for the Angels, but it definitely changed. Yeah, more love for the Dodgers now, but I do still have love. It's not like it's the Dodgers fan choosing the Angel, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, yeah, I can... I could be down with the Angels. If they get some pitching, you know, I'd be really down with them. I'd get, <laughs> I may uh, get some stuff again. Uh, I haven't had Angels fan gear literally since the 1980s. You know, when I yeah. had my dad buy me stuff at Anaheim Stadium, you know, like the big A. So starting, starting in 1989, I started coming out to Gardena with a friend of mine from back home in Colorado. And we would stay with his aunt and we would go to Disneyland and we would go to different places. And for the longest time, we could not get Dodgers tickets. So I would always end up going to Angels games. And one of my most memorable Angels uh, game experiences was I went to a game. We, we finally drove ourselves out from Colorado to here and we did our routine that we always did. But we, for the first time, we drove to Angel Stadium ourselves. There were no, there was no other adults there. It was just him and I. We drove ourselves from Gardena to Angel Stadium. And the Angels were playing the A's. And the A's were dominating the Angels for most of the game in terms of stats. But it was still a 2-0 game going into the bottom of the ninth. And Chili Davis came up with two runners on and hit a game-winning home run that just reminded me so much of why I was such a huge fan of John Elway as a kid. You just, you were never completely out of the game. 
And I became an Angels fan because of Chili Davis. And I'm still an Angels fan to this day, even though the Rockies came into existence shortly thereafter. It was because of that game with Chili Davis that I became an Angels fan for life. You know what? I remember seeing games with Chili Davis on the team and going to Anaheim Stadium at that time. And, you know, I don't know if you um, recall, but um, I don't know. Wasn't that uh, the Naked Gun? Was that that was supposed to be at Anaheim Stadium, but it was filmed at Dodger Stadium? Remember that? I believe so, yeah. 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 So they were, you know, the Angels. The Angels were in uh, the movie, but yet they were filming at Dodger Stadium. And I'm like, dude, that's not Angel Stadium. I so knew that as Dodger Stadium because I knew what both stadiums (laughs) looked like and felt like, you know. But I remember Angel Stadium back then before they, uh, you know, it was a dual-purpose stadium for the Rams as well. And I remember that stadium, you know, had a different look before they made it a baseball-only stadium and and it was exposed to the 57 freeway, you know. So that stadium, it was classic. I thought that was a classic field. And that was a trend back in the 80s to have those multi-purpose where, you know, MLB and NFL teams shared the stadium. It was all about that. And that made sense because you only play 10 home games a year in the NFL. But now it's like you make, you know, the NFL's made eight. so much money from it's TV revenue. A year. What's that? Eight home games. It's eight home games a year unless you're the Denver Broncos and you get a you used to get a home game hey, in San Diego. No. Now, now, you get a, about now you get a home game, game in L.A. I'm talking about 10 games, eight regular season, two preseason. That's what every team is guaranteed. Oh, the weird you're, thing you're 100% is, correct. You're 100% but the weird, correct. I forgot about the preseason. Unless you advance into the playoffs, then you're going to have a couple more home games potentially. You know, the interesting thing is, though, I was going to mention about SoFi Stadium, Toya, was uh, they are going to have – the Rams are going to have three preseason games at SoFi Stadium and only one on the road. Isn't that a w- little weird? It's usually two and two. Um, that is weird, but I think uh, because of the new stadium, people are going to want to see the stadium. Um, the NFL wants to showcase the stadium in terms of the preseason games. They want to have film there. They want to be able to shoot promos. So by having this extra game, it gives them the footage to be able to do that. And then that and means, you also yeah, have more players coming into L.A., you know, to avoid travel time and stuff. Well, the other thing is you're having a second team there as well. So if the Chargers have two home games and the Rams have three preseason home games, that's five preseason games that Kroenke's going to make some, you know, money off of. And then when you consider that AEG is also going to be the company that's going to be selling the concessions and handling the gate and everything. By having two teams there, there will be 16 home games at SoFi Stadium this next year, which means Kroenke is going to be making money back on his investment at twice the rate of Jerry Jones in, in Jerry World. Yeah, you could say that could be the potential same thing. I don't know who owns the Jets slash Giants stadium. What is that, MetLife? No, MetLife has I wonder the if... naming rights, but I I believe it is a municipally owned, meaning the city owns it. Um, and they're making you know whatever money they make uh, by owning the stadium. 
as opposed to here it is owned by Stan Kroenke or Dallas is owned by Jerry Jones. All right, then. That's it for today, everyone. Thank you very much for giving us a listen. If you have a question you'd like B, Toya, and me to discuss, please let us know and give us a follow on Twitter at LA Sports RT1. Until next time, take care.